Hello and welcome to the First Prez Mommy podcast, the show for people on the go, who like to stay in tune with the conversations at our church. Today, Pastor Clint Tolbert leads us through the parables in Mark 4, 1-34. Placing our hope in the kingdom of God will feel like foolishness at times, but God's word calls us to hope in what we cannot see. This is the definition of faith. Let's hear today's message. my uh, routine of preparing to preach, I always make sure I read the passage a week or two in advance and allow it to speak into my life, not only in my dedicated times of study, but as I, as I go through the normal activity of life. And this week's been anything but normal for me, but it's been pretty profound, and um, I'm grateful for the opportunity that this week and this passage have given me to frame the importance of what we do and who we are uh, together. Um, uh, Most of you know, but there may be a few who didn't see the email or may not be aware. My my mother passed on Friday night. And uh, because of that, I'm grieving. Um, I know you, and so some of you out of love are going, what is he doing He should not be up there, right? (laughs) And I appreciate your love and concern. Uh, I am grieving, but I want you to know I'm I'm also relieved. Um, I wrestled with whether I should preach this morning. Pastor Tom was ready to step in, uh, but I felt like I could and I I wanted to. Uh, Pastor Tom will preach next week as I give my attention to the the memorial service and, and all of that. But there's really a good opportunity for me and for you to reflect on, on what God tells us in his word and in our, in our life uh, together. Again, my mom had Alzheimer's disease, and so while this morning is hard, it's really not as hard as some of the others that I've faced. I'll tell you more about her in the message later on, but some of the harder Sundays were a few months, six months ago when I see her wander in late because she had got confused, or maybe even worse, Wayne, I hope you didn't see it. If you did, I hope you didn't take offense when she was doing this when you were playing the organ. My mom loved the organ. Um, and in fact, in our, my home church fought to keep them from turning it to, uh, from a pipe organ to an electric organ. Uh, so to see her do that, I, I knew that's not her. Um, or in those first few Sundays when I just knew we couldn't bring her anymore. Those, those were harder than this morning. And so I'm grateful for your understanding. Um, As I talk about the week, though, it doesn't begin with my mom. It begins with last Sunday, an opportunity that I had that I don't think I've ever shared before. You might be aware I, I wasn't here, at least in this service. I took the whole morning off because one of the Christmas gifts that we got my youngest son was tickets to the Cleveland Cavaliers game. Last Sunday, they tipped off at 1 o'clock, and I thought, well, I'm going to go and take the morning off, and we'll have to to get there. But as we began to make plans, uh, we were going with some friends. We realized we weren't leaving till 10.30. So I I came, surprised Kristen and Jason and some others who didn't think I'd be here, and just worshipped at 9 o'clock. I'd forgotten that we were having communion that Sunday, so it was probably the first time and only time I received communion from Nick up there uh, on that side of the table instead of being on 
this side of the table. Boy, it was good, and it was a blessing. I was blessed by our music. I was blessed by Jason's sermon. I was blessed by our fellowship, even though I'll admit I was trying to escape really quick so we could get to the game. But I couldn't help compare our gathering here that morning with the gathering that I was a part of just three hours later in Rocket Mortgage Arena in Cleveland, where we were there to watch the Cleveland Cavaliers. Have you been to an NBA game? Anybody in here been to only a, oh, there are a few. Okay, so I, I think there are probably all similar. Again, comparing and contrasting this gathering with that gathering. Here I'm with maybe 100 people. There I'm with nearly 20,000. It appeared to be full. Uh, uh, I saw maybe a couple of empty seats, but not many. We were sitting pretty high up, and so facing me in a way that I, I found it hard to actually watch the live action. I was watching this jumbotron that was right here. This picture is a picture of it, but it really doesn't give it, give it justice. I, we were, I think, six rows from the top. And this four-sided screen is, here's how big it is. It's, it's five stories wide, about 50 feet. Three stories tall, 30 feet, right? And it just looks you in the face. It's incredible. You see on the corners, there are these torches. That doesn't do it justice, right? The fire. And as they announced the players at the beginning of the game, these torches went off. And you could feel the heat, literally. You, where I was sitting, you could, I, was, I was a little concerned, right? I could feel the heat. Of course, the music is going, and the bass in the music is rattling my chest. And as they announce every player, people are screaming and roaring and hollering. And I found myself comparing to what I just experienced here. You know, there's a, there's a temptation as we share life together as the church, as we gather for worship to compare ourselves to, to gatherings like this. I mean, think about it. The, one of the purposes of the church, and the purpo- I, I, a resource that we have, it's about 100 years old, that I really love and, and depend on a lot, is something called the six great ends of the church. It's articulating our purpose. Why do we exist? The sixth great end of the church says this, that we gather to be an exhibition of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven to the world. To exhibit the kingdom of God to the world. Well, what I just experienced in Cleveland was also an exhibition, was it not? Like we're going to exhibit entertainment and sport and athletics and so it is natural to compare these two exhibitions to one another. And if you are not seeing things rightly and you're the leader of this exhibition compared to that exhibition, it is tempting to go, (sighs) right? (laughs) I mean, if we don't frame things rightly and we think that, that our gathering is primarily about kind of entertainment and music and all of that. I mean, Kristen, it was great. Take no offense, but... We're just not measuring up. If it's about enthusiasm, for example. Yeah, right. The reception that Donovan Mitchell got when they called his name, I'm sorry, folks, 
when I come down that aisle, I mean, it, it's tempting to be discouraged. This morning, the parables that we have heard, read, and will consider together lift up the concept of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and draw us to ask the question, what is this kingdom? And what does it mean for us? And, and what does it mean to exhibit the kingdom in the world? And as we do, these parables, I think, more than anything else, are meant to encourage us as God knows that we might become discouraged as we think about and compare what we have together with many other things in the world. And so, if you, if you didn't already, please do open to, to Mark 4. We'll look at these parables together. As you're opening, let me pause and pray one more time. And, uh, and then we'll get into God's Word. Lord, thank you. Thank you for all that we share together for worship that we have, we have already enjoyed, for, for your word before us, for the presence of your spirit. Lord, all of it helps us uh, know you, live in communion with you, and uh, then hold out your life, your kingdom uh, in this world. And so would you speak to us, each one, as we come to your word, speak in a special way, May we not just be hearers of the word, but, but may it change us so that we go from this place more faithfully serving you. It is in the name of Jesus that I, that I pray. Amen. Well, before we get into the parables specifically, just, let's just touch base and make sure we understand what a parable is, kind of the nature of a parable. I think most of you understand that parables are fictional stories. They're not true. We should not be trying to look at these literally. Uh, But though they are not true, they do communicate a profound truth. In fact, Jesus uses parables to communicate the most profound truths about life. Parables often use very simple imagery. So as you heard them read, you heard images like farming or seeds or light or measures. Many things that certainly first century uh, Hebrew people would have been familiar with. And frankly, they're so simple, we are too. Parables can have multiple meanings and multiple layers of meanings. That's why Jesus uses them. He's not... These are not math problems where 2 plus 2 equals 4. It is okay, in fact, encouraged to to wrestle with these and go, well, maybe he's saying it because of this, or maybe it's that, or maybe it's kind of a little of both. And these parables especially, while valuable reading them independently, are really given to us to be considered together. If you have your Bibles open, notice the beginning, verse 2. He taught them many things by parables. It's kind of this introductory statement that then is followed by five parables, though they aren't necessarily named that way. And then verse 33. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke. And so, so it's God's spirit that moves Mark as he writes the gospel to to put these five parables together, 
that we might consider them not just independently but as a unit and say, okay, so what are these telling us about the kingdom of God as we wrestle with them? Finally, before we get into the parables themselves, it's important to think about the audience. Who's the audience for these parables? The first one, of course, names it right at the beginning, verse 1, a large crowd gathered around Jesus. And so the audience at first is this multitude of people. But then it shifts. Verse 10, I believe it is, suggests that, that after Jesus told that initial parable, he kind of pulled to the side with his 12 disciples and he explained it to them. And then after that comes the other parables, and as I read the scripture, I think those are meant also only for the the 12, or for a small group. Well, why is that important? Because, Because the audience often informs the interpretation. I believe these five are meant to help we who are entrusted with the good news of the gospel and the kingdom of God to remain encouraged even at times when, when we might be tempted to discouragement. I mean, think about it. The initial audience, the 12. The, these disciples would be entrusted with, with the ministry that would lead to the church, right? With the gospel. And Jesus is saying, so, so you're about to give yourself to very hard ministry. I want you to remember these words and be encouraged. Who's entrusted with that ministry now? Yeah, us, right? Yes, me, but all of us. And so we read them and go, okay, we also have been entrusted. And so we recognize that word of encouragement. All right, so let's look at them together. I think it will be helpful, much like I have heard. If you listen to a Pink Floyd album backwards, you might hear something different than if you went forward. We're going to do the same thing with the parables. Let's look at the last one first and work our way backwards. That was more funny than you gave that credit for, right? Yeah, and too late, too late. Um, the parable of the mustard seed, verses 30 through 32. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this. It's like, it's like the smallest seed. Here's an image of a, of a mustard seed that you can see. It's like a, it's something really really small, so small that you are tempted to think this is so insignificant, not worth our time. You shouldn't, shouldn't really give much attention at all, but you would be mistaken if you did that because much like a mustard seed, this thing that is small and seemingly insignificant, the kingdom of God grows and invades and pervades our lives so that it's like the mustard plant that in the Middle East just is all over the place and all-encompassing. I mean, we start by recognizing that, that this is what Jesus is saying his kingdom is like. And again, it doesn't solve everything. Still, what is the kingdom? But we think about our life together and our kingdom activity, our kingdom expressions like worship. Again, this came to me as I was comparing the gathering in Cleveland with our gathering hill. here. It seems insignificant here. I mean, there are many churches meeting this morning that look at us and go, well, there's a big church, right? There's, for them, 10 or 20 people that are gathering. 
Jason's preaching to one of those right now. And they would be tempted to think, maybe we should just throw in the towel. God's word says, no, don't measure things that way. Sometimes our, our acts of service, the ministry we feel like we're called to, whether it's formally here in the church or, or beyond or in our family, sometimes it can feel like it just isn't worth it. You may be aware we've got a uh, tutoring program at our fourth and fifth grade school. We've been doing it for years. There's a, a handful of people from this congregation who go over there once or twice a week. They share lunch with a child who doesn't have a great uh, supportive family background, and then they read together. And the principal has said, yeah, we're going to call this tutoring, but it's more just we want positive adults in their life. And I know going week after week, month after month, year after year, sometimes we feel like, I don't know that we're making that big a difference. Because we're not seeing big numbers. We're not seeing growth that we think we should, but this parable suggests don't make that mistake. We note the way that Jesus began his ministry in the world with only a few people whose lives and faith multiplied so that now those who claim to follow Jesus outnumber every other religion or faith in the world. It's a mystery. That's what the next parable helps us to recognize. It's like it's something small that is seemingly insignificant, but it grows. And that growth, that's a, that's a mystery. Verses 26 through 29 help us think about it. It's kind of like a, like a field planted. Yes, somebody sowed the seed in the ground. Yes, somebody tended the soil. But the actual growth, how does that happen? I mean, where does that come from? I mean, it seems to happen mysteriously, almost by itself. The parable's meant to, to help us recognize that no one really knows how the kingdom works, how things grow, what happens when God is in our midst. Many people have made the mistake of, of publishing some sort of here's 20 steps to church growth or here's how you raise your family or here's how you give yourself to the kingdom. And they're often well-meaning and there might be some helpful tips, but in the end, nobody really knows. The scripture gives negative examples of, of people trying to do that, like the book of Job. Do you know the book of Job? If you know the book of Job, you'll, you'll remember that Job was a man who was relatively faithful to God and yet began to suffer significantly and his friends came to him and his friends thought they understood how the kingdom of God works and so they said Job just confess your sin the reason you're suffering must be because you've ticked God off right and we often think that way don't we that the kingdom of God works like this if I'm good God will bless me if I'm bad watch out Job goes I I can't really think of anything. And this, you know, nearly 40-chapter book, I forget exactly what it is, it's back and forth like that. Job's saying, I don't think I did anything. And they're going, well, we know the kingdom of God and how it works, and you must have, so think harder. Until the end when God says to all of them, knock it off. Where were you when the stars were put in place? 
when the mountains were raised up and the valleys made low and the, and the, and the tidal wave given its assignment. Where were you? You don't know. It's a mystery. It's a mystery as you seek to invest yourself in the kingdom of God. You, you pour yourself into children, whether it's yours or the children here in the church fulfilling the vows that, that we make together, whether you, whether you pour yourself into to ministry, you're a deacon, and you're making calls and writing notes going, I don't know how, what's happening with this. You, you pour yourself into community. What works? Sometimes, when it works well, we can get a little prideful. The Apostle Paul uses the imagery in this parable when he writes to the church in the ancient city of Corinth. That church was growing. They were growing uh, by Paul's work, but also the work of some other people. One guy's name was Apollos. And so if you kind of read between the lines, you can recognize that this church was beginning to struggle because there was a rivalry forming, not between Paul and Apollos, but between those who followed them. They were looking at one another kind of arrogantly and saying, I'm better than you because I follow him. To which Paul writes, if you put, see it here, Hey, look, gang, I planted the seed, and Apollos watered it, but it's God who's been making it grow. Make no mistake about it. God's the one who works in our midst to make things grow. Now, if you continue to read that verse, you'll notice that doesn't let us off the hook. And we see that also in the Gospel of Mark, if we back up another parable to the parable written in verses 24 and 25. It's not subtitled a parable, but the concept is there. Consider it carefully what you hear with the measure used to you. Think about a measure, a ruler, a measuring cup, something like that. Here's a simple object that Jesus is using to make a profound point. And he says, just because God's the one who is ultimately responsible for, for the kingdom of, of heaven or for growth, whatever that is, doesn't mean that you're not accountable for what has been entrusted to you for the purposes of the kingdom. This is a tricky one, right? With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And even more, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Anyone want to raise your hand and say, that doesn't seem fair, right? If you know the parables of Jesus, you might recognize this as an abbreviated reference to a longer parable that that we can read in the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to paraphrase it for you. I won't read it, but, but there's the reference. If you're taking notes, you could jot down that reference right in Mark next to this. It's the, we often call that the parable of the talents. Does that sound familiar to you? The parable of the talents? Where a, a master or landowner is leaving for a trip and he calls three servants to himself and he entrusts to these three servants a portion of what belongs to him. To one, he gives five talents or bags of gold, if you have the NIV, you know, to the other two and to another one. And he goes on his trip, and then he comes back, and he demands an account. 
He goes to the one who he gave the most, and he says, so tell me what you did. And, and that fellow said, well, I, I took what you gave me, and I took a risk, and I invested it, and lo and behold, it doubled. Here, it's all yours. And the master rewarded him, congratulated him, even gave him more. Same thing with the one given two. I took a risk, I invested it, it doubled. Here's four, the master congratulated him. But the one who had one said, hey, I was afraid. And then he began to speak in insulting and accusing ways about the master. He said, I, I know your reputation. I, I know you're a hard man. I, I was worried what you would do if I took a risk with this and lost it, so I buried it in the ground. And the master said, you wicked, wicked slave. And he took, just as this passage said, he took the little that had been given to him and he gave it to the one who already had ten times as much. So too will it be for us. As we think about the kingdom of heaven, we, we recognize this truth, that all of us have been entrusted by God with time and talent and treasure. All of us have the same amount of time, but we have varied talents and varied treasures that are given to us to be invested in the kingdom of God. I want you to pause for a moment and ask yourself the question, if I stood before the Lord tonight, what would he say? How have you invested what has been entrusted to you for the sake of his kingdom? Here's where I'll let you in on just what will be one of the most precious memories of my whole life, I'm sure. That on Friday night, we gathered with my mom, labored breathing. My last knowing kind of look with her happened on Thursday where she opened her eyes and I said, hi, mom, and smiled at her. And she smiled back. I said, I love you. She nodded her head and went back to sleep. But on Friday, as we knew this was the last few hours, called the kids, they came back from college. We're all there. We're praying. We're singing hymns and some of the songs you've taught us. And uh, it occurred to me, huh, this would not happen if it were not for my mom. See, my mom was the one, when I was young, my mom was the one who said, the kingdom of God, the church, faith is important. And we're going to live as if it's important. My dad, my dad changed over the years. It became important in his later years. But when I was young, he would have been happy to stay home with me and watch pregame, right? But it was mom who said, no, 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 no. We're going to practice worship. We're going to pray as a family. We're going to do these things. You might think, because I'm a pastor, that I just came out of the womb excited about going to church. You would be wrong. I can remember vivid arguments with my mom where she, or she fought with me because I didn't want to get out of bed. Or I'd even be in the back of the seat. Here's where my theological education began. I would say to her, I do not think the God of heaven cares if I wear jeans to church. 
she would say, yeah, well, he might, but I do. You are going to wear them. It was my mom who nurtured my faith at its beginning. And not just mine, but, but to another degree, Stacy's, as she grew up in that same church, and by extension, my children. And so as we huddled there together, the truth of this parable came home. That her small investment was multiplied so that we could share that. I don't know what would have happened in my marriage without my mom. I don't know what would have been true about my family without my mom. If you get any blessing from my ministry and the life of the church as I'm leading it, you ought to give thanks to my mom. Because if it were not for her, I'm not sure. That's what this parable is meant to teach because the same is true with you. Small, faithful investment of your time, your talent, your treasure. You don't know how God might use that. The, the, the next parable then lifts that up, right? The parable of the lamp, verses 21 through, through 23. Do you bring a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? If you know the scriptures, hopefully Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount are echoing in your mind where he says, let your light shine that people may see it and glorify your God in heaven. But it's not just that this parable is meant to communicate. This parable, I think, is meant to bring some measure of understanding to something else that was said uh, just a little bit ago in Mark, something that was really difficult. If you've got your Bibles open, look up to verses 11 and 12. If you don't, I put these on the screen so you can see them. Where Jesus said, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Again, he's with the 12 disciples. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. So that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving. And ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Did you notice that when it was first read? Did anyone go, hey, that seems hard. It's really hard. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is quoting Isaiah 6 there. So if you turn back to Isaiah 6, you will not be helped. It's still hard, right? It is a hard, hard statement which leads me to lift up for you a principle of interpretation for the scripture. Something that ought to be firm in your mind as you're reading. Always let hard and complex passages of the scripture be interpreted by that which is obvious and simple. It seems in that passage that Jesus is saying, hey, I really don't want most people to understand, turn to me and be forgiven and so I'm going to speak in parables. Doesn't that seem like what it says? But don't you know some other passages that would contradict that? Simple passages? Like if you were watching a football game yesterday, God bless you, it was terrible, right? But you might, you might have noticed in the stands a sign that said, John 3.16. A very simple, clear statement from God's word that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever should believe in him shall have eternal life and not be condemned. We allow passages like that 
to speak to passages like this that are much more difficult. And when we do, and when we wrestle with it, and when we take these parables together, we might be able to see what he's saying in the parable of the lamp, where he says to his disciples, verse 22, whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. I.e., I'm going to tell you something about the kingdom of God, and it's just going to be yours for now, but not forever. Because a time will come, maybe when the Spirit was given, when all are supposed to know. Something that helps us when we, God is moving in such a way that we go, God, what are you doing? This doesn't make sense. I don't understand. God is saying, yeah, it's hidden for now. But someday, maybe in eternity, maybe before, I'll give you understanding. Trust me. For, and we get to the last parable, I am the sower. This is the primary parable, right? When you've got five of them and most of the other four take a couple of verses, but this one takes 20-something. This is the main parable. And he offers it both to the crowd, but then to the disciples as an explanation of how we ought to try to understand the world. I mean, it makes sense of our experience. We ought to lean in hard because this, is, this gives some answer to lots of the questions we ask. Why, why do bad things happen? How come my kids are doing that? What about... Jesus says, because this is the way the kingdom works. That God, the farmer, brings the seeds of his kingdom into the world. And you know, there's, as he sows the kingdom into the world, there's all sorts of reasons for discouragement. Some of that seed falls on, on the path, the hard ground, and like a bird that just feels the seed, uh, Satan will come and steal that away. You, you offer a loving word, a kind gesture, a testimony of faith to someone, and it feels like it didn't even matter, or maybe even it backfired. And you go, well, Lord, what? Or sometimes God sows the seeds of his kingdom and they seem to land in an excited way. It's, it's in rocky soil that's got soil because it's there on the rocks. It's warmed up quicker and, and the plant grows and it's exciting for a moment. But then it just dies immediately. Some people are like that. Other times the, the seed of the kingdom is sown into the world amongst a thorny and weedy area. There is growth, but just when we think there's going to be fruit that is born, it's choked away. He makes special mention of wealth and says, be careful, because this is the way money works. It can distract us from placing our hope in the kingdom of God because we put it in the resources we've been given. Lots of reasons to be discouraged, but, but Jesus says, don't, don't be discouraged, because there will be some. Some seed that falls on good soil, and that seed, it doesn't just double. It multiplies 30, 60, 100 times. So take hope and believe and worship and serve and love. For the kingdom of God is coming. And this is the nature of our faith, right? The author of Hebrews says this. Now, faith is confidence. 
in the midst of what could look desperate, as you read the newspapers and go, boy, the kingdoms of this world seem awful strong. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. And so we take these parables in and apply them to our life. Could be multiple applications, multiple layers, but here's at least two that I bet are already in your mind. One is some of you are going, hey, I wonder what kind of soil I am. Good. I think Jesus would have us ask that question. But be careful. Can soil change itself? No, soil can't change itself, but one from outside, the farmer, God himself, can change the nature of the soil. As we look at ourselves and wonder, it ought to call, cause us to call out to God and say, Lord, would you help? Prepare me to receive you and the seed of your kingdom in a, in a way that is multiplied in my life over and over and over again. And as we place ourselves with the disciples, the second application is a recognition that as we give ourselves to ministry and life together, as we gather in, in numbers of tens and, and maybe on a good, say, good Sunday hundreds, but then compare to our 20,000 or 100,000, it might get discouraged. No, 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 no. No, don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged when, when the labor you put into your child doesn't seem to be bearing fruit. Don't get discouraged when, when the one you're seeking to serve isn't grateful. Don't get discouraged. But you don't know what the Lord is doing. Maintain faith. Maintain hope. It's just a great week to reflect. I compare last Sunday gathered with 20,000 people fire (laughs) and then gathered around my mom's bedside with my wife and my children seeds of faith there's no comparison there's no comparison let's pray Lord God may you help us not be deceived or discouraged the kingdoms of the world, kingdoms of power and size and might with fire and thumping base and enthusiasm. They capture our, our sight for a moment, but then it's gone. But your kingdom, small as it seems in a moment, grows and is that which is truly meaningful. So help us, Lord, to lean in together to your kingdom that we might know you and then hold you out to the world around. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed our First Pres Mommy podcast. Learn more about our church at our website, firstpresmommy.org. Have a great week.